It's Wednesday on Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day, and what a day it is. I don't know if you guys missed it. Wolves beat the Warriors last night. We're going to be spending some time on that here in just a minute. A fracas at the beginning of the game, ejections, a hard-fought win, seven in a row now for the Timberwolves. And like I said, we'll be getting to that here in just a moment. Um, got some Vikings thoughts at the end of the show as well. In addition to uh, some Twins stuff, kind of setting up a big day, a little bit of Twins news, and we'll definitely have more Twins talk on Thursday with a bankruptcy hearing today involving Diamond Sports and some of the future of the Twins on TV may be getting a little bit more clarified after today. Randy Johnson from the Star Tribune will join me here in a little while as well to talk about Gopher football. Not a great stretch for Gopher football by any stretch of the imagination. Lost to Purdue 49-30 this weekend. Gave up over 600 yards. They're now tied in the standings with a bunch of other teams they would prefer not to be tied with. Iowa is more or less the the runaway winner now with the Big Ten West. They have a two-game lead on everybody with two games to play. One more Iowa win gives them the title outright and another spot in that Big Ten title game. Um, but just where do the Gophers go from here? This was supposed to be, at you know, at worst, maybe a bridge year. And it doesn't feel like a bridge year right now. It feels like a kind of a journey to the unknown at this point with, you know, the depth of this team being uh, being tested and with the, the you know, them struggling in a mediocre at past uh, conference. So Randy and I will get into all that and set up this weekend's Ohio State game. Uh, does not get any easier understatement of the century with that one. First, though, what did I miss? Like I said at the jump, Timberwolves 104-101 win over the Warriors. And if you just looked at the box score in the morning, you might be like, well, why You know, why did Jaden McDaniels play only two minutes? Why did Draymond Green and uh, Clay Thompson only play two minutes for the Warriors? Because they got ejected before any points were even scored in this game. I believe I saw something on, on X last night, Twitter formerly, um, that... This was the first game in NBA history since the ABA-NBA merger that three starters were ejected from a game before a single point was scored. Uh, started with a tussle between McDaniels and Clay Thompson and evolved into Draymond Green putting uh, Rudy Gobert in a chokehold, essentially. He got ejected. The two main participants in the initial dust-up got ejected. Rudy Gobert called it clown behavior. We'll get into that in a little bit. To me, it was a washed-up team. The Warriors are washed up. They used to be great. They had a dynasty. They won the title as recently as a couple of years ago. Nobody is good anymore on that team except for Steph Curry, who wasn't playing because of right knee soreness in this game. So they're trying to find someone else, someone else who might be able to score a basket. I think coming into this game, they had had one person, I think Dario Saric, had scored over 20 points um, in addition to Steph Curry in any game this year. Nobody else had even topped 20 points. So the Warriors are trying to find something else aside from Steph Curry to get themselves going. And I guess they decided that the way they were going to do that was to try to fight the Timberwolves, to try to resort to cheap shot, slap shot type tactics to to try to beat them because because they're washed up, because they're just not very good anymore, because they botched at least two drafts. Um, James Wiseman, what a terrible pick that was. He was number two pick overall after Anthony Edwards in 2020. They could have had LaMelo Ball. They could have had any number of players that could have extended that dynasty. Instead, 
They took James Wiseman and had to finally offload him this past year in a four-team trade for basically nothing. Bench helped, uh, rotational players, nothing, nothing of real value. Um, you know, they got Jonathan Kuminga with the number seven pick that they got from the Wolves in the D'Angelo Russell trade. He's okay, but he's not special. Moses Moody, the number 14 pick that year, he's fine, but he's not special. Like, none of these guys have really stepped to the forefront to extend the dynasty. So they've got to be frustrated. They've got to be like, man, we are wasting the final good years of Steph Curry, who's still playing at an amazing level, is still a top five player in this league, still is a great, great player. Draymond Green, not even close to the player he used to be. Um, Clay Thompson looks like he's not close to the player he used to be. They're frustrated. So they, they resort to this. And so you create this environment where the Warriors aren't playing with what in the past has been their big three. Really, it's their big one now. But what in the past has been their big three? The guys you have to pay attention to, Curry, Green, and Thompson, are all out of the game after two minutes. Advantage Wolves, right? You know, they, All they're missing is Jaden McDaniels, which is a big miss. But still, if you're looking at it, you got to think the Wolves are at an advantage. But it plays out like a game where all of a sudden the Warriors have a bunch of energy. And you see this sometimes in you know various sports a, a fight in hockey ignites a team um a relief you know a backup quarterback comes into the game in the nfl like josh dobbs and the team rallies behind him ejections happen in the nba say a coach gets ejected sometimes and the and players get fired up they go on to uh, to do good things now the warriors had a lot of energy there was a lot of energy in the building because of that initial um that initial fight those initial ejections and the warriors were we're playing pretty well. We're we're kind of setting the tone for a while. A lot of their reserves, a lot of their lesser players were doing big things. And they had like a 10-point lead on the Wolves in the third quarter. Was not looking good. So for the Wolves to be able to you know, chip away at that lead, get it down to basically tied early in the fourth quarter, and then stay there and then pull away, make those plays at the end of the game. Carl Anthony Towns, huge basket, go-ahead three late in the game. Rudy Gobert, huge block on Dario Saric in the corner, gives the Wolves another possession, keeps them in the lead. Um, Anthony Edwards gets the rebound off that, basically takes all five Warriors with him. He dribbles into the paint, finds Mike Conley Jr. wide open in the corner, hits him. Conley makes it three-pointer ball game, and that was that was the story of that game. That was how it all basically wrapped up towards the end there. It was, it was a lot of different guys, a lot of different players making those plays. And let's, let's hear Mike Conley Jr. right now. I want to play a quote from him from after the game, kind of describing how that all played out. You know, honestly, it was just we just had to grind out this win. Like it was nothing in particular. It was you know getting a loose ball here or there, offensive rebound, a, a deflection, a block, a big block at you know uh, Rudy head at the end in the corner. Um, guys making extra passes, you know, pants pass at the end of the game. I mean, just just wasn't one particular thing, but it was just uh, us finding a way in a night that was you know pretty hectic. Conley's calming presence and his ability still cannot be overstated um as as far as their impact on this team they've won seven in a row now they're seven in a row eight and two on the season seven wins in a row including all three of this road trip so far he has calmed them down so many different times this year already has made big shot after big shot got them into the right situation the mike conley jr effect cannot be overstated right now nor i should point out can the impact of good and great Carl Anthony Towns on this team 33 points 11 rebounds ever since that Boston game where I you know kind of mused about man 
How can they be this good when when Towns is this bad? He has been very good. He has been very good for this team. He takes them to another level when he is playing at this level. I want to see it for more than just a few games, but I also am saying, wow, when he plays at this level, they have a higher, a much higher ceiling than they otherwise do. They can they can be okay. They can be pretty good when Towns is not playing at his peak, but when Towns is much closer to his peak as he was in this Tuesday game, leading the team in scoring 33 points, playing good defense, grabbing rebounds, they are a dangerous team. They look like a top four team in the West when Carl Anthony Towns is playing like that. Same with Gobert. Like I said, he had that block, struggled a little bit with the shot in this game, but he got, you know, he had a bunch of rebounds, had three key blocks in this game. He is looking like a completely different player this season, as we've talked about already. The bench gave them plenty. Um, <clears throat> it was probably the best Shake Milton game in quite some time, maybe even all year. Um, they got some big contributions from Kyle Anderson, as usual. And, you know, just this team kind of gets different different things on different nights. Um, you know, they don't have to rely on one or two things all the time. And that's, of course, the mark of a good team. Now, it doesn't get any easier. Back-to-back, right? They're in Phoenix tonight. They're already 3-0 and on this road trip, but heading into that, they were just playing an emotional late game. A bunch of guys poured a bunch of energy in it. Towns played 42 minutes. They were scrambling all over the court, but they decided to go for it in this game. Sometimes you have to make a choice. The art of the back-to-back is sometimes when you're playing two good teams, and you know, the Warriors still qualify as a good team, even if they're washed up. When you're playing two good teams, you have to decide where you're going to put your energy. When they, when they knew Curry was out, you probably had to think, okay, if we if we're going to put our energy into one game where we think we have the best chance to win, this is it. And then as the game unfolds, they're in trouble, right? They're down, but they still pour that energy in because they know they're the better team on that night. They know they have the better players. They know that if they keep with it, they can win that game. So they distribute the minutes such that they can get that get that win in that game and worry about Phoenix tonight. That is the art of the back-to-back. That is the art of, you know, sometimes you're going to take a schedule loss. Tonight might be a schedule loss. I'll be interested to see how they deploy players, how much rest they give guys, things like that. Conley only played 31 minutes. They were ma- they were able to manage his minutes pretty well in this game, so he probably should be okay. I'm sure Ant will be up for it. Jaden McDaniels very well rested after playing just two minutes, but guys like Towns, Gobert, I wonder if they have to deploy their bigs a little bit differently in that Phoenix game if they're going to try to stay competitive because I believe Phoenix has Beal, Booker, and Durant all available for that game if I'm not mistaken. So that will be a real test in Phoenix to see if they can keep their seven-game winning streak going. Now, you guys had a bunch of feedback, a bunch of stuff I asked for uh, for stuff on X, formerly Twitter, after the game, asked for your thoughts. Let's run through some of that even if there is some overlap in what I just said. Adam Nelson says, um, nice hustle play by Ant to get the defensive rebound with about 240 to go in the game. One of several things they did right to take this win. Good point, because those are the little plays they didn't make enough in the last couple years, even as they were winning enough games to get in the playoffs. That's a sign of a mature team. That's some of the Conley influence, I think, some of Gobert playing better, some of just these guys being a year older, a year more mature. But yes, those those little winning plays like Conley talked about a little while ago, those are the things that that you need to win games like this. And they certainly did that in this game. Um, let's see. Yeah, uh, T-Gage Murphy, uh, one of my, he's a neighbor of mine, says uh, Con- Conley's calmness will add about five more wins to the team this year. I agree. I think he's, he's a good fit for them right now. And... Uh, 
and and you know you can't like i said you can't overstate how much he means to them <laughs> he said winning stephen baker says winning the games they should a new timberwolves yeah i've already kind of addressed that but absolutely um johnny says how many previous wolves teams get that win not many i agree you know you, you start you get into a situation against a bunch of backups you get into a game where it's getting chippy things like that that's where you need both calmness and toughness, and they have not had enough of that in past years. Uh, Josiah says, this is why Cat is more valuable to this team than the current market rate. The ceiling for this team is the highest with him on the roster. I can agree with that if I see it going uh, this way for another half a season, not just a few games. But I agree, Cat is playing at a very high level right now. And when he is playing at this level, he is, you're right, the ceiling is highest for this team when he is playing like this and is on this team. David E. Preston says, Ant using his gravity to get Conley the three has been my favorite point of the season so far, unlocking a new level in clutch time. Yes, instead of just hero ball, dribble, 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 shoot the three contested, he finds Conley wide open, ball game. Um... Mr. Inconsistency says, fire Draymond into the sun. Rudy Gobert would agree. He called the he called the the chokehold clown behavior and Chris Hine did a great piece on this after the game kind of setting the stage for what happened um, <clears throat> when Draymond Green had punched Jordan Poole in the preseason last year uh, Gobert tweeted, insecurity is always loud when Gobert uh, took a swing at Kyle Anderson uh, right before the playoffs last year um, Green had the same tweet. So these guys have had something going for a little while. Um, so there was, there was no real reason, no real reason aside from frustration, pent up, angst, and just Draymond being Draymond that he would do that. Um, <laughs> Colbert had some good stuff after the game, though. He says, um, he's called it clown behavior. He said, every time Steph doesn't play, he doesn't want to play. And he said, Clown behavior, and I'm proud of myself for being the bigger man again and again. And yeah, Green doesn't even deserve me putting my hands on him. My team needed me tonight. I did whatever I could to keep my cool and then show I wasn't go- I wasn't making the situation worse. And I do hope that the league is going to say to do what they need to be needs to be done because that's just clown behavior. Not much to say. It's clown behavior. And he said it wasn't good enough of a choke for me to sleep, so I just kept my hands up and waited until it was over. Something tells me this isn't over. Something tells me there will be some more chapters to this. Hey, the Wolves could use a good rivalry. They could use some. They could use being in the mix. You have to be good enough to be in a rivalry. I think the Wolves certainly are. I don't know if the Warriors are anymore, but uh, this could be fun the next time they play. Certainly was fun in this case. And Gobert was right. It takes a certain maturity to keep your cool to win a game like that, especially on the road. Here is Conley again talking about that. You know, I thought we did a good job of battling, you know, just ourselves. Our mental was, you know, guys were angry at refs. Guys were a little bit flustered and, you know, frustrated with things and um, trying to keep everybody's, you know, mental down a little bit, not not trying to get too uh, too aggressive. And uh, I thought as the game went on, we settled into it a little bit more. Uh, we, there was a time we were down 10, 11 points and looked up there and guys just kind of slowly just chipped away and said hey let's just continue to trust each other and and do this together we're not going to do it you know one guy at a time so i'm just proud that we were able to to mentally overcome that that start and um and the way they were playing against us final thoughts here it's just game 10 of an 82 game season and let's not get carried away but the wolves have already won a bunch of games this year that i don't feel like they have won in past years and a bunch of them now have been in a row tells me that something's different. I don't know how different. I don't know exactly 
how and what is going to be sustained. But if this team stays healthy, they do look like a very good team right now. And I think a lot of people are getting excited about it, and for good reason. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's talk Gopher football with Randy Johnson, beat writer for the Gophers. Randy didn't give up a single one of the 603 yards of total offense that Purdue got on the Gophers, 49 to 30 win for the Boilermakers against the Gophers. I mean, that was, I don't know how do you, what else you say about that one, Randy, but any talk about, you know, backdoor Big Ten West title, even after that Illinois loss, all of that goes out the window pretty fast as they just couldn't stop, had no answer for a team that wasn't really rolling offensively going into the game. Uh, yeah, it, it was just came out of nowhere. Right? Well, and it, <clears throat> when, when, uh, in pregame uh, warmups, when you see Cody Lindenberg uh, not really participating in there, and and he, he he's questionable, this is questionable, and it's like okay, this could be a problem. And then his the guy starting in place of him, Maverick Baranowski, goes down in the first series. It's like oh, they don't have anybody there uh, in the middle with any experience. That they're playing uh, a true freshman and a, and, a, and a redshirt freshman in there who who had not played at all. In, in any meaningful snap. So that that caused a, a big problem there. They were also without safety, Aiden Goosby. Um, that didn't help. He's he's somebody who has seen quite a bit of playing time. Um, yeah, and then just just nobody nobody tackled, nobody, you know, so, so many um bad run fits where they're they're out of position. It just it just uh steamrolled on them. It was uh that was it was nuts. Help me out now. And we always hear in football and other sports, kind of next man up. We've heard that from the Vikings a lot this year where they've had some injuries and they've had guys step in. Obviously, Joshua Dobbs, probably the most notable, but you know, they're five and oh without Justin Jefferson, for example. That's professional football. That's, you know, smaller rosters, obviously, probably guys who are a little bit more closely aligned in skill level, things like that. But like at the college level, is it common? Would it be common for you know, one or two guys to go out and then just the depth is just completely not there. Uh, that was the hard, that was the thing I was having a hard time understanding that that, yeah, I get that an injury has an impact, but that that has such an outsized impact that all of a sudden the team gets 600 yards on you. Well, what what happened too is a lot of the Gophers depth that they would have had this year transferred out. Okay. You, know, you had uh, guys like Braylon Oliver, uh, uh, like that, that, you know, probably either would have been, um, top reserves or possibly even a, a starter. Um, uh, uh, they haven't gotten probably as much as they've wanted out of uh, the Western Michigan transfer and Ryan, Ryan Seelig. Uh, you know, there, there's just uh, it's there's areas where if they got if they had a lot of injuries, it was going to be a problem. And linebacker was one of them. Running backs another one of them. Yeah, and it's obviously it shows in that game. PJ Fleck uses the word unacceptable a lot, which is you know a good word to use when you give up that many yards. Um, Joe Rossi's defenses have tended to be awfully good like he that that was the surprise to me that 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 this that they could have this sort of kind of let down so many you know so many blown assignments so many missed tackles 
when you're used to when you're used to seeing Joe Rossi's defenses play much differently. Yeah, you know, the, uh, Joe had you know prided himself on uh, or putting together defense that was you know last couple of years have been very very good against explosive plays, limiting to them. Uh, this year, not the case. There, you know, the people are cashing them up and down the field, uh, and you know the other the other uh, spot where they're really uh, it's it's really uh, uh, tough for them is uh, their third down. Uh, last year they were. Uh, Sixth nationally in third down defense. Yeah, here um, uh, Chip Scoggins points out they're 115th. Ooh. So they're That's not pretty close up. to the bottom, right? Was it 120, 130 teams? Yeah, 132. Yeah. So. And that's huge. I mean, that's that's what football is all about these days is getting off the field on third down. It's so much. It used to be more of a field position game. Now it's a possession game. You got to be able to get off the field and even eliminate the chance that a team might be tempted to go for it. Like you've got to really button a team down. And yeah, if you're what do we, you know, some of that's just probably like year to year, um, you know, variance, right? But is there a, do we have a particular explanation for why that's so much different this year versus last year? Um, you know, not not necessarily off the top of my head. It's just they just haven't always played well in in those key set spots. They have a better pass rush this year this year, but it's you know, there's times where it hasn't come through and where they needed it. Um but it's it, to me it's more on the coverage end of it. So where do they go from here? I mean if you are trying to extract any positives out of that game and you're not going to find any on defense. Maybe you can pull a couple on offense. I mean, Ethan Calicmanis was inconsistent again, but they scored 30 points. Like the offense is not the problem in this game. Are you, are you seeing things there that make you think, okay, you know, if, if they're, if we're kind of more in evaluation mode right now, and we'll talk about Ohio state here in a minute, like you're going to learn some things there, but you're probably also going to learn that you're, you know, two, two steps below in class too, since you're 27 and a half point underdogs there. But like, as you look at the offense and start to think about 2024 and beyond, what do you think they're learning about quarterback running back, everything like that so far? Well, I think with Ethan, you know, you've seen, you've seen him improve as the season got, got on, but there still is a lot of inconsistency. You know, he's, he's, um, thrown for uh, three touchdowns in the last two games and no interception that that's good. He's started, started pretty strong in both games. Yeah, that's good. But then the second half he's tailed off, uh, especially in the Illinois game, um, you know, not quite as much in the uh, uh, Purdue game, but still, you know, not nearly as good a stats as he had in the first half. Uh, you know, it, him, him getting more consistent is, is going to be the key with this program going forward. Um, it, it'll help too. If, uh, they didn't have so many drop passes. They, yeah. they played with that all, all season with the receivers. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's hurt them at some very, uh, uh, you know, drop passes in the end zone, drop third down passes. You know, those are when when the quarterbacks go, you know, has accuracy issues as to begin with, you got you to gotta have your receivers catching the ball. You mentioned Illinois. Hey, they got Paddock going in that relief effort. He threw for 500 yards this week after – Blitzing the Gophers for that 85-yard quick strike drive to beat them the other week. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> I was I was kind of like, whoa, okay, maybe there's this isn't, isn't a one-hit wonder here. There's something there to this guy. Um, Gophers will have all they can handle and then some this weekend at Ohio State. I already mentioned the you know four touchdown underdogs essentially. It feels like a name your score game. What 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 do you what do you want to see if you're PJ Fleck and the Gophers out of this game where basically nobody's giving you a chance to win, but you also 
need to start feeling better about yourself in some way if you're going to you know, have any kind of momentum going into that season ender against Wisconsin, which could by all accounts be for not just bragging rights, but bowl eligibility. What, what do you want to see this weekend if you're P.J. Fleck? Well, you you want to see who's healthy first. You know, do you get a guy like Darius uh, Taylor back? And you know, that would help immensely on in the running game. Um, but you know, if he's if he's still banged up, you don't want to play him against Ohio State. Um, you know, just you, you you want a solid effort. You want you know, yeah. I think everybody realizes it's it's you know the chances of an upset are, are pretty slim the way the Gophers are playing right now, and especially on defense. And you know, it's it's just you know get out of there with you know with a solid effort with with. Uh, something that shows you haven't rolled over, um, and you know, hopefully, and hopefully too, with get out of there in uh, relatively good health. Don't you know, don't suffer any other injuries that uh, you know that's hurt them this season. And it's you know, you really can't afford any more with the uh, you know if you want to win that last game against Wisconsin. That Wisconsin game is really their realistic chance to win. I mean, you know, something can always happen: turnovers, big plays, things like that. You could be competitive and and potentially hang with Ohio State. But if you've just lost to Illinois and Purdue, I'm not going to say you're probably going to go out and be competitive against Ohio State. But that Wisconsin game, Wisconsin's struggling right now. They just lost to Northwestern. Northwestern, by the way, just the same record as everybody else now in that kind of five-team swirl in the Big Ten West. They're five and five overall, three and four in the Big Ten, just like a bunch of other teams, including the Gophers. But that Wisconsin game now could be for bowl eligibility, could be like, Randy, we were talking before we started recording, and I've been amusing about this already. Like, you could beat Nebraska, Iowa, and Wisconsin this year, and it would feel like a bad year. When, why, when would you ever think that was the case? Yeah, that that that's that's that would be something. Uh, yeah, I always uh, figured that the Gophers to uh, make it dandy for the Big Ten title game, they would need to beat both beat both uh, Iowa and Wisconsin in the same in the same year. And they, there's a, a you know 50-50 chance that'll happen if they you know if they, they come through the, against Wisconsin then okay yeah they they've they've got those two trophies but they'll be sitting back here still yeah and I mean it still it still feels like there's some relevance to it but I just but, I don't I don't know what to make of it I don't know what to you know I think they were in a they were in a similar spot a few years ago right where they had to beat Wisconsin to be bowl eligible yeah 2018 um you know they they went out there uh, that's the year they. Uh, uh, fired Rob Smith, defense coordinator. Joe Rossi took over, turned around that defense uh, really quick. Um, and they they go on a go on a run. They get to they get it to uh, five and six. Uh, they go to Wisconsin and they uh, beat the Badgers uh, thirty five thirty. I'm trying to remember the score thirty five six thirty eight seventeen or something. Like uh, I don't remember what it was. Something big. Something pretty no, significant. You know, they, beat, they beat them um, going away. They got. A, I remember they got a. Um, uh, Demetrius Douglas punt return touchdown, uh, which oh, that's nice to see something on the special teams right. uh, that in the return game. But um, yeah, they um, basically that and that kind of they they end up going to the um, Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit and beat Georgia Tech. Uh, that kind of uh, you know pushed them forward for the next year, and then they have that the eleven and two year when they get on a roll during that season. So obviously, something still to play for here. What you know. We've talked about bowl projections at various points. Like most of the, I mean, all the good ones, I would imagine, are kind of out of the picture now with these last couple losses. Where do they stand now? Let's say they 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 are able to beat Wisconsin. What seems like a likely scenario if they're able to do that? Yeah, you know, they they would they could you know probably the high end, it possibly um, Nashville. I think that's kind of unlikely. 
the low end Detroit, and there's even a chance they would um, go to a different bowl game that's not in the Big Ten rotation. If there are others, if the Big Ten has filled their their allotment, they you know the ones that's been mentioned are the Armed Forces Bowl in, in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, I've seen the Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa. I, I, I've, you just, I've you're just making you just making them up now. You're just yeah, no, them up right. uh, I've seen the Independence Bowl in uh, oh, wow. Shreveport. Things yep. like that. Um, yeah, it's it's just you. You have to have to wait and find out how many teams are eligible, where the where the open spots are, and and see if they fit in there. And there is even a scenario they could they could go as five as a five and seven team wow. if there are certain numbers of yeah. open bowls and their APR is high enough. And that's that's a little down the road. I haven't uh, read all the numbers to see exactly what they would have to do to get that. Um, there's a lot of teams involved in there, and there, but it's it's uh, we would we I think we all would hope that 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 wouldn't come into play. The uh, Independence Bowl is no longer sponsored by the Weed Eater, is it? It's no longer. It is that. not. Okay, uh, I didn't think so. I was going to pop my head. Uh, it's. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's in Shreveport, though. That's, yes, sorry. it is. It is that. Um, last thing, Randy kind of jumping to the bigger the big 10 as a whole michigan gets eh, maybe a little bit of slap on the wrist maybe a little bit more than that that the three game jim harbaugh can't coach on the sidelines not really a suspension kind of a you know he at least he can't be there on the sidelines on game day but he can kind of do everything else he's gonna apparently he's gonna have say his piece in a few days here um what what did you make of that I mean, p- temporary punishment, as it were. And where do you, where else do you think we can go from here? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, Michigan's going to pull out every every legal stop that they can to, to get an injunction so he can continue to coach um, and get get back in there. But uh, you know, I, I was I was glad to see that the Big Ten did something this year with it. Did something. Um, you know, they believed everything was cut and dried that this did happen. Um, you know, I, Michigan wanted wanted every, the whole process to play out with the well. Of course, they do. You know that that punts it into the end of next year, and they they end up you know they could end up going to to the national uh, the, for the college football playoff and everything. So it's basically I, I'm glad the Big Ten did at least what they did. I you know I it wouldn't have bothered me at all to see if they would have came down harder and maybe even said, hey, Michigan, um, this is egregious enough. We're, we will not let you play in the. Uh, in the conference title game, you can still get in, in the college football playoff. That's up to them. But uh, yeah, your your transgressions were enough to where you're not going to get to play for our title. Well, we'll see if they they are or not, right? It'll come down. I guess it'll still come down to the field against Ohio State, right? Yep. Yep. It's it's them and Ohio State on, on, uh, on the 25th. Well, that should be. A good game, I'd say. Ninety percent of America might be going for Ohio State in that in that one, except for maybe those who um, like secret sideline tapings and are, are maybe pro pro cheating. Um, well, Randy, appreciate it as always. Unless, of course, Ohio State gets knocked off along the way by the Gophers, but uh, I have a feeling that they won't be. Even if they overlook the Gophers, they could be okay in that one on Saturday. Uh, we'll talk about it more next week. Okay. Okay. Sounds good, Mike. Always appreciate catching up with Randy. Always has good insights, even when the Gophers are playing poorly. I guess the, the bottom line for this season is feels like a wasted opportunity, a missed opportunity. The West was so bad again, and this is the last year of it. And I just I don't know if it's just that the Gophers weren't that good this year or if they just played down to the level of that competition. But this year is disappointing, and I, and I worry about 
the stalled momentum, where they go from here, because like we've talked about, this does not get any easier next year. The schedule is so much harder next year. If they put out this kind of product, this kind of effort, this kind of you know, ability next year, they're going to be like four and eight, five and seven. They're not going to be very good next year if they play like this because the schedule is just that much harder. The teams they're playing are that much better. And that is where you start to worry about. You start stacking up years like that, and that's where things start to backslide. So some important moments coming up for the Gophers, for P.J. Fleck in the not-too-distant future. Let's finish with the cooler. A couple things. Vikings, Jordan Hicks on injured reserve. I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot on the Access Vikings podcast later today. That's a huge blow to the defense. A lot of these injuries they've had to play through earlier this year were on the offense. Obviously, Justin Jefferson, quarterbacks, um, Madison, K.J. Osborne, a lot of guys out um, you know, out at various points this season on the offense. Darasaw missed a game. Um, but they haven't they've been relatively healthy on defense. You know, the Marcus Davenport stuff is one thing, but they've been relatively healthy on defense. How do they overcome the loss of one of their veterans, one guy who was playing really well? How does that factor into the defense, which has been the better side of the ball for the better part of this season? That will be an interesting thing to watch over the next coming weeks while Hicks is out. Also, Twins, some procedural moves. Sonny Gray declined their qualifying offer. Not a surprise there. He will test free agency. Almost certainly will sign somewhere else, and the Twins will get a compensatory first-round pick in that case. Twins added a couple guys to their 40-man roster, including Austin Martin. That could be your backup or maybe your primary center fielder in 2024, depending on how the roster shakes out and the payroll shakes out. And some of that payroll is going to be determined by what their TV situation looks like. And again, like I teased, some stuff coming in bankruptcy court today. Phil Miller will join me on Thursday show to talk through the Twins offseason in general, but also the latest proceedings there and how that impacts the Twins going forward as they sort out their local broadcast plan for 2024 and beyond. That will do it for me today. Thanks for joining Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand, back at it again tomorrow.